The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. So as you make your way there, dear friends, this morning our theme is the deadly sin. Comparison. Comparison. The deadly sin, comparison. And so we find ourselves, one verse in the Old Testament, very key, very profound, perhaps written by the wisest man to ever live, although he wasn't always wise in all of his action. This is his words. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and striving after wind. You see, building on the theme of discontentment, which we spent the last week, last two weeks looking at, I believe that one of the sins that take root in our hearts is comparison. Because of discontentment, we have comparison. Comparison, just like discontentment, creeps in unnoticed. And eventually it controls your thoughts. It controls your responses. It controls your feelings. Amen? Comparison. Perhaps many of us this morning never even thought about it. We never thought that comparison is, is even on the scale of sin. Come on, it's not really coveting when you are comparing. It's not really discontentment when you're comparing. How about this? Perhaps after the service, as a woman, you walk into the dining hall, the fellowship hall, and you notice what every other woman is wearing. And you size up how she may compare to you. None of you have done that, by the way. Amen? I saw one amen in response. <laughs> Her gaze at, at, at people, you know, being conditioned by their status, their appearance, their beauty, their hair, the dress, the shoes, the handbag. In that very moment, my dear sister, all those preoccupations rob you of your joy and freedom in the Lord. Because you are held captive to comparison. The men go, ah, what is this? We can't relate to that, but how about this? <clears throat> men also compare sizes. The size of their house, the size of their car, Size of their salary, size of their budget, size of their chest, size of their trophy case. The list of achievement records. Who's louder? Who's more macho? Comparison. When you put two men in a room and tell them to pursue a leadership position, more often than none, it'll seem like two bull elephants Pushing and shoving to see whose ego is the biggest. Not who has the most skills, not who is more gifted. Whose ego 
is the biggest. Amen? Men. No? No one in this room compares. We have mastered the sin of comparison. Right? What about kids? We have kids in the house. Let's not be ignorant thinking that our kids don't struggle with comparison. Kids go to school and they compare lunch. They compare their parents' careers. They compare the types of clothing that they have. The toys, looks. And the older they get, they start comparing career choices, school marks, phones, freedoms, rules. Comparison is all around us, dear friends. And we, we might sit here and try and justify that it's not comparison. It's just, I'm just thinking. I'm just weighing my options. You're not weighing your options when you're making a judgment at that moment. You're comparing. And it's robbing you of your joy in Christ. It's robbing you of your freedom in Christ. And so it really comes down to this. If we justify our comparisons then really what we're doing is entertaining and allowing it to, to govern our, our choices, our decisions. Many people will justify their comparisons by masking them in the form of goals. Oh, but my neighbor has a four-bedroom house. My goal one day is to have a five-bedroom house. Really? It sounds like comparison. Do you follow? If all we want to do is excel in life, then great, praise the Lord. But the issue is, in our pursuit of excellence, the world is more often what we are excelling for. Status is more often the goal of our pursuit. So this morning I want to use our time to deal with the sin of comparison by firstly diagnosing it, showing you what Scripture says is comparison, how it creeps in, how it works, and then obviously we'll look at some solutions as to how to deal with the sin of comparison. So firstly, the severity of comparison. The severity of co comparison. This is what Solomon says. He says, Then I saw all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Our pursuits, our supposed goals, where do they come from? Where do they originate? Is it a heart desire or is it jealousy? You don't want the next person to have the same thing you have or to have as much as what you have. You want more. You want it bigger. The severity of comparison. He goes on to say that this is vanity. Striving after the wind. That, that's a key word. Striving after the wind. You know what it means to strive? It's to make every effort. It's to use every resource. It is to make it your life's goal. To achieve this one thing. And Solomon says, what you are pursuing is the wind. What you are chasing after is busy blowing away. You will never catch it. You will never reach it. Because it's always going to be something more. It's always going to be something bigger. It's always going to be something louder. Listen, comparison is harsh. 
It is cruel. Our text even says in another translation that it points to rivalry. It points to rivalry. Rivalry is a compelling urge to equal or surpass someone else. I see it in kids. I, I coached kids sports. It's always a competition. It's always who's faster, who's stronger, who's better, who can kick further. Comparison. We compare ourselves, and here's the problem when we do that. It's a lose-lose situation when we compare. Perhaps like the Pharisees. We see an image of this when Jesus is talking about the, the tax collector who goes into the temple and next to him is a Pharisee. What does the Pharisee do? Lord, I am nothing like this. Scum of the earth. Me, I'm righteous. I tithe. I pray. Look at me, I'm here. What do we call that? Comparison. The sin of comparison. It robs you. It steals from you. And these days, it's, it's almost impossible not to get pulled into the temptation of comparison. It may seem like you are winning as you... And as you win, it's almost like you have this smug about it. When you compare yourself to your neighbor. And when I say neighbor, I don't mean the person living next door. I mean the next person you work with. The next person you might be involved with. When you're busy winning in achieving more, there's this smug about your appearance. Yes, I've made it. I'm superior. Listen when I speak. Comparison. It's a self-focus. And what is self-focus? Is self-focus noble? Help me out. When the world says, you do you. When the world says, focus on you. Is that a good thing? Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says it's not. It's not because when you put the focus on yourself, you're putting it on a, on a deceitful heart that wants to give in to the cravings of, of temptation. That wants to compare. That wants to covet. That wants to entertain jealousy, right? Self-focus is never noble or honorable. In fact, here's an illustration from the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you may follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, from verse 3. Paul says the following. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Are you, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. Then he goes on and he says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation 
and someone else is building upon it. Let each of you take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a, a foundation other than that which is laid by the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the New Testament say? Even in the church, folks were comparing. They were saying, but I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Barnabas. I'm of the church of Ephesus. And Paul says, what? What is Apollos? What is Paul? Who are they? Nothing but mere servants. Paul recognizes the humility because Paul could easily compare to Apollos and say, you're right. I am better than Apollos. I started more churches. I did three mission trips. I gave my life to the gospel. Apollos just came to Corinth. He doesn't do that. He points to Christ and says, it's Christ who gives growth. It's Christ who builds. And what do we do when we compare? How did he do that? How did he achieve all those things? What is he doing? What does his bank account look like? Yet, the New Testament says, it's God who gives. It's God who gives the growth. It's God who, pull, who builds. But we get caught up in comparison. Now look, in the context of this portion, Paul shows that the church were divided because of their flesh. Their, their temptation, their desire for sin. And what was the influence? It was a worldly influence. The Corinthians have a reputation of allowing the world's influence into the church on numerous occasions. And this time that influence was comparison. It was rivalry. The members were busy boasting about who led the church and who was there when they led it. Friends, the church is the last place for you to compare. I've often heard this from people. And I, and I lovingly rebuke the thought. But I've heard so many people say, I don't want to go to church because I'm judged there. I've seen how people look at me when I walk through the door. How they look at what I'm, what I'm dressed with. Then you go to other churches where everyone is trying to outdress each other with the smartest brands. Pastor Gilbert, Pastor Chris, you guys can attest to this. We've gone to churches and it's so bright because of the bling, you don't know where to look. The most expensive, neatest suits. Sh shoes that shine brighter than the lights. Trying to outdo his neighbor. Just got to be better dressed. Got to give more money. Got to outdo. It's rivalry. It's comparison. And the church is not the place for that. Here we need to diagnose it and take care of it. This is a place where we ought to relate, not compare. But the thing is, comparison comes from a desire to have a reputation. I'm going to say it again. Comparison comes from a desire to have a reputation. You want to make a name for yourself. Whether it's in the workplace or in the church or among your family members, among your friends. You've got to make a name. Your stories always have to be better. 
Your effort always has to be more. It's about success. This is why parents, more often than none, are always boasting about their children's achievements. My child, my child ran so and so and so and has all these medals. It's great. How's his salvation? Oh no, we can't go to church on Sunday. We've got another track and meet. We've got to travel to this town because of a soccer game. We've got to go here because of this game. Wow. It's comparison. My kid has to do the best. He has to have the best. Has to be in the best school. And then there's us. We, we compare economic success. Parental success. Moral success. And then, on top of that, our situations. Not only are we comparing with each other, we look at our literal situation and compare it with those around us. We compare our situation perhaps with the past. We compare our situation with a future we desire. This is what it looks like. You might be in an unpleasant situation right now and wishful thinking you're thinking about a time it went better in the past. It's comparison. You're comparing the unpleasantries with a time where perhaps you experienced prosperity. Maybe not just the past. Many of us daydream into the future hoping for a, for a better future, a better outcome. Again, it's, it's comparison. and that in, More than that, that's covetousness. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 9 says, Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This is vanity and striving after the wind. How too our past used to be. Your friends, it says so much. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of an appetite. Don't look at the past and say, I wish I was there. You know, five years ago when I look at my relationship with Jesus, it was so much better then than now. Is it really? Are you forgetting the five years of growth? The five years of trial? The five years of testing by fire? No, but you want to compare. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 10 says, Say, say not, where are the former days? Or were they better than these? For it's not from wisdom that you asked us. It's not from wisdom that you asked us. Now the challenge in facing the sin of comparison is to realize that it's there in the first place. It's to realize that you have been comparing. And you've become so used to and so accustomed to comparison. You have to realize it's there. It's the same thing with our salvation. If you don't realize your need for salvation from sin, then you don't need a Savior. But the moment you realize you are a sinner and you need a Savior, that's when salvation becomes relevant. Same thing here. If you are trying to justify your comparison, your desire for comparison, your need for indulging the temptation of comparison, you won't consider the next solutions. You're just allowing it to rule your life. But it's been something I've always done. 
Surely these things can't be sin. It's sin. And it's deceptive. It's like putting a frog in a pot of ice cold water, putting it on the stove, and turning the heat up slowly and slowly, but surely, to the point where this frog is boiling in the same water he started in. Right? That's what we do when we allow sin into our hearts and we allow it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until it's the only language we speak. Comparison. We don't realize the danger until we are totally cooked. So we need to ask God, especially if you know that you're struggling with comparison, even if it's a teensy little bit, we need to ask God, to convict us and make us aware when we are busy comparing. Especially when we are comparing ourselves to others. The root of comparison is discontentment. It's to seek joy outside of Christ. It's to seek joy in the things that are temporal. Yet, when we see the sin of comparison, when you realize it is there... It should grieve you. Amen? It should cause you sorrow. To disregard. Because what you are doing when you compare is you are saying, what the Lord has given me is not good enough. I want that. It looks better. It smells better. You are discontent with what the Lord has given you. So that's just us diagnosing comparison. Amen? Now let's look at, by the grace of God and His Word, the solution to comparison. How can we deal with the sin of comparison? How can we overcome the sin of comparison and that which comes with it, which is of course covetousness and discontentment? I actually have a few. So let's make it the solutions to comparison. Firstly, if you want to truly work work through comparison, then work for Christ's reputation and not yours. If you want to truly work through comparison, realize that what you are doing is not for you, but it's for the glory of Christ. Amen? This is what His Word says, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you follow? I'll read it again. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's how you overcome comparison. Work hardly as for the Lord. Work for the Lord's reputation. Work so that Christ is exalted. But at the same time, I have to give you this warning, at the same time, because we can mask it. We can pretend that our working is for Christ, but then it's not, because obviously there's praise and there's praise coming our way. Make sure that when you are working to exalt Christ, You check your motives. 
Amen? Check your motives. Why are you doing this for Christ? Why are you doing this supposedly for Christ? What is in your heart right now? Do you want someone to notice you? Do you want to raise? Because all of a sudden, it's no longer for Christ. Yes? Check your motive. Are you self-promoting? Or are you boasting in Christ? Secondly, acknowledge that success is a gift from God. Do you have that? Acknowledge that success is a gift from God. Because if you don't acknowledge it, you're always going to compare to those who are busy winning when it feels like you are not. Acknowledge that success is a gift from God. Remember, we just read 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7 says, Only God gives the growth. You say, but that person's not even in church. That person's not even a, a Christian. How can they enjoy such success? It's called common grace. When the Lord bestows blessing on whomever the Lord chooses to bestow blessing, you do not have a place to compare whether it's a believer or an unbeliever. It's God who gives. It's a gift from God. And you need to acknowledge that perhaps, no matter how wicked this person is, the Lord has given them that prosperity. Don't compare. In John 3 verse 27, John says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. It's not your place. God is the giver. I realize it's easy to look and see what others around you have or what they have achieved. But it's God's common grace that has allowed it to happen to whether this person is a sinner or a saint. He gives to whomever he gives. Amen? Thirdly, remember that we are running a race. We are not in a competition. We are running a race. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every hindrance and sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The writer to the Hebrews doesn't say, outdo everyone in this competition that you are in. He says, no, you run the race and forget the things that entangle you, such as the sin of comparison, discontentment, covetousness, jealousy, envy. You run your race. Every believer is in this race. We are running in our own lane. God has given us each our own gifts, our own strengths. He's given us our weaknesses. You run the race. Don't worry about who's running in the lane next to you when they achieve something and you don't. It's not about outscoring whoever is next to you. Remember the parable of the talents? The worker, or the three workers, the three servants. One gets five, one gets two, another gets one. Yeah? Remember the story of the, the, the parable of the talents? The servant who receives two talents 
wasn't in a race to outdo the servant who had five talents, what did they do? He simply multiplied that which was given to him. He didn't say, oh, you have five, I have two. I'm going to show you, I'll have ten. No, no, no. The one who had five talents went and did his business and came back with ten talents. The one who had two talents went and did his business and came back with four. But what did the one do who had one talent? He hid it. Why? Why did he hide it? Fear of man. What did he say? I was afraid. I was afraid of you. I'm going to hide it. Which we can assume, hey, maybe it's comparison. But we don't need to do that. The moral of the story is look at the two who did what they were told to do. And they didn't compare. They succeeded in what was given to them according to their gifts. Listen, it may not be your gift to work with numbers. Don't try and become an accountant and earn you know, a great salary. It's not your gift. Don't covet those who are in that position. Friends, we are given from the hand of God. So each run his race according to those gifts. Amen? So, fourthly, rejoice in which God gives to others. Rejoice in what God gives to others. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul tells us that there were people preaching Christ from selfish gain. They were preaching Christ for reputation. They were preaching Christ for financial gain. This is their reason for preaching Christ. And so from verse 15, Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking that to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul goes on to say, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, says Paul. He has every right to be upset that the gospel is being hindered, that the gospel is being stained. And yet what he says is, I'm thankful that Christ is proclaimed. Whether it's from pretense or whether it's the truth, they are still preaching Jesus. It's not focused on what they are getting. It's amazing that they get anything out of it for preaching Christ falsely. But they do. And that's an area where, where I've had to deal with it. I've had to deal with the fact that I look at false preachers around us, serving in mega churches, and they're leading God's people astray. And I tell you, standing here, it doesn't make me any less upset. Because they are preaching a false truth. But still in some cases they preach Christ. And then I rejoice. I'm like, yes, they said Jesus and the truth about the gospel. That it's salvation and loan. And then in the very next sentence they say, but you need to give. What, what, what? Dang it. You were so close. So close. So friends, 
Rejoice in what God gives to others. Fifthly, embrace second place with humility. Right? Embrace second place with humility. In, this, in the last half of 1 Peter 5, he says in, in verse 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Don't fight for the podium. Don't fight for your namesake. It's for Christ's namesake that we work hardly. Amen? Accept second place. What does God's word tell us? He who is first will be last. Why? Why is that the case? Because he's not there for Jesus. He's not there for the kingdom. He's not there for the church. But he who is last shall be first. Why? Because in humility I'm there to serve. I'm there for the people of Christ. I'm there for his kingdom. And James says, God opposes the proud, but what does he do to the humble? He exalts them. It's Christ's job to put you on the podium. Not you. Don't fight for first place. In humility, embrace your circumstances. Number six, evaluate yourself honestly. Evaluate yourself honestly. Not just with humility, but also with sound judgment. Because, again, we can go wrong here. Many people make the mistake of responding with self-pity. Assuming that that self-pity is humility. Here's an example. You did a great job singing today. Oh, shucks, I'm not really a singer. That is not humility. Humility is to embrace what has been said of you and to point to Christ as you give thanks. That's humility. Humility is not, ah, oh, shucks, yeah, you know, whatever. That's not even giving thanks, right? So don't make the mistake in thinking it's humility when someone thanks me. It looks nice, sounds good. And you respond with, oh, I'm so terrible. Just so you can hear more nice things. No, for, for it to be sound judgment, if, if someone gives you this compliment, ask yourself, is it true? Am I a decent singer? Yes, well, thank you. Um, by God's grace, because... Yeah. You want to hear me sing again? then it's not honest. <laughs> Humility accepts the praise and the compliment because it's an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord. Do you have that? That's sound judgment. It accepts the praise and the compliment because it's an opportunity to give thanks to the Lord. Yet the sin of comparison is then defeated by sound judgment. Self-pity encourages comparison. Number seven. Be content with whatever situation God has put you in. In 1 Corinthians 10, 15, Paul says, um, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see that? Honest evaluation, 
But what does Paul do? He is content with whatever situation he's in. He's turned the focus off of himself because Paul could have turned the focus on himself and say that, yes, I am a great preacher. I am a smart person. I am of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a true Jew and a Roman citizen. But he says, the grace of God. Had it not been for the grace of God, none of these things would have meant anything. And so he's trusting in the Lord's provision. And he doesn't compare his material blessings while others were enjoying them. He's simply trusting in the grace of God. Finally, here's the last one. Be thankful. Be thankful. It's very hard to be discontent or to compare yourself when you are thankful. When you are thankful, you are making an honest evaluation of yourself, of your circumstances, of your blessings, of your hindrances, before a holy God. Do you see that? When you are thankful, you are making this honest evaluation before the Lord. Be thankful. In fact, let's go back to Colossians chapter 3. This is the last time I'm going to ask you to turn the pages of your Bible. You guys were working hard, eh? Amen. Colossians 3.15 Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and, and psalms and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's three. Don't know how many you count, but I count three. Three times that Paul mentions thankfulness. Why? We can apply it to any other sin as well. It's vital to defeating comparison. When you are thankful, there's no need to compare. There's no desire to compare. There's no platform to compare. You see, your thoughts of, of gratitude, your thoughts of contentment, your thoughts of praise, these are the things that drain the temptation of comparison. When you are giving thanks, when you are rejoicing, it is so hard to compare when you are giving thanks. And you can have gentleness. You can be a loving person. You can even be a humble person and still have the desire to compare. Yet when you are a thankful person, the desire to compare becomes exceedingly less. So when you give thanks realize that in that moment you are making a decision to rest upon Jesus who has faithfully provided for every necessary need. Do you follow? Friends, the platform to compare is huge. It's massive. Consider the biggest stage in the world multiplied by 10 because that's the platform for comparison. It's all around us. The temptation is there. Believe you me. But I tell you what. 
a heart that boasts in Christ, that's thankful for His grace and provision, is a heart that doesn't need that platform, that doesn't need to be on that stage. So friends, I invite you to hear these words. Do not let the sin of comparison hold you captive and rob you from your joy and freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are struggling with comparison, take these solutions and, and hold them before you in your time of fellowship. Pray specifically for the areas where you are struggling and where you are lacking. Don't, don't go with this whole blind faith, Jesus, I give it to you, take control. No, no, Scripture says, work out your salvation. You work out your salvation. You go before the Lord. You pray for these things. You hand over these things to Jesus. And trust He is working all things together for your good and His glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we just consider these words and these truths, this morning I ask that you would specifically bless us to overcome this, this, just this hindrance of wanting to give ourselves over to such a sin. And Lord, as we look at what you do in and through us, I pray that as we sing this next song, we sing truthfully that it's by your grace and your grace alone that we can sustain or ever achieve anything. So we pray in your name. Amen.